Welcome to our Soul Food Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Princeton, West Virginia. I will have to say that Pastor Bill doing announcements is a hard act to follow. You know, so, uh. Okay, if you would turn in your Bibles to Mark, uh, Book of Mark, Chapter 15. And um, uh, verse 20, beginning at verse 20, I'm not going to ask you to stand because we are covering quite a bit today, and so I will try to talk fast. So <laughs> it's a, a a lot to cover, both you know, uh, contextually and and. Uh, Anyway, I could go on for a long time, but I won't. So, but, uh, Let's uh, begin with prayer, though. Father, we come before you this morning so thankful that, uh, that we can come before you, that the partition between us that sin had caused has been removed, and that we can enter boldly into your throne room right before you, Lord, with our needs and our petitions, with our praise and our thanksgiving. And it's all because of what our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, has done for us. And as we look at this passage of Scripture this morning, Lord, that that goes into and details the the events that, that took place to bring about our our redemption, uh, our right standing with you. Lord, we want to do so with with much reverence and and, and much seriousness, but also in much rejoicing, Lord, because it is such a wonderful gift that we have. And Father, we just praise you this day. We ask you to open our hearts and minds to your word. Lord, I can do nothing without you, so I put myself totally and completely in your hands, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, uh, we have <clears throat> been going through the the book of Mark, you know, and the Gospel of Mark. Spent the last couple of times that I was up here on the uh, uh, final days of Jesus, and now we uh, come to the part in our study that records one of the most awful, but yet one of the most wonderful events in history. You know, it seems that more has been written on the crucifixion of Jesus Christ than any other subject uh, that there is on earth. And I think that's because of the importance of it. It is maybe 
the, the critical focal point of, of all history. From the fall of man, you know, all scripture looks forward to the time when, as God told in the Garden of Eden, that the serpent's head would be bruised. And from that point on, you know, all history has been looking back you know, to that one point, that one time when the Lamb of God was, was hung on a cross and paid the penalty for our sins. It is such an important thing. This is what Jesus came for. His teaching was important. You know, his interaction with the people was important. His choosing of the twelve uh, apostles was all this was important. But this is essentially what he came for. You know, Augustine wrote, you know, back in I think the fifth century A.D. that the pulpit was. Uh, the cross was the pulpit from which God preached his love for the world. And it is such such an, an awesome thing, such a horrible thing he went through, but such an awesome thing for us. Let's look at, uh, at verse 20. And when they had mocked him, they took, uh, took the purple off him, put his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. <clears throat> it's hard for me to imagine the Son of God being ridiculed by those that he created, making fun of him, hitting him, slapping him, spitting on him, putting a crown of thorns on him and a purple robe on him, making a mockery of his lordship and his kingship. And as bad as that was, they then led him out to be crucified. In verse 21, Then they compelled a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country, passing by, to bear his cross. Now it was the custom in in Rome to make the condemned prisoners carry the cross to the place of crucifixion. Now Jesus having been up all night being brought before the Sanhedrin and grilled and and uh, tormented primarily, then brought before Pilate first thing that morning, six o'clock in the morning, then being beaten and compelled to, to carry the cross. Now, they didn't carry the entire cross. Generally, they carried only the cross beam. The upright portion usually were already in place. They would carry, the prisoners would carry the cross beam which would weigh someplace between 75 to 125 pounds. This was one heavy piece of wood. And because of you know, what all he had been through, 
Jesus was just no longer physically able to carry this thing. I mean, he was, after all, you know, a man. And he had the physical limitations uh, of, of men. Now, the Romans had the right to compel any citizens of their occupied territories to, to carry a burden. Generally, they could compel anybody to carry something of theirs for one mile, legally. That's, that's why Jesus used the example, you know, if somebody compelled you or asked you to carry something for a mile, carry it too. That's where this comes from. But they compel this guy named Simon, a Cyrenian who was probably, uh, he was from, you know, the other side of the Mediterranean in Africa. And he was probably there for the Passover. And it mentions that he was the father of Alexander and Rufus. You know, Simon is mentioned later on in the book of Acts. Rufus is mentioned in the book of Romans, I believe. You know, it's possible. that because it, I don't know this for a fact, but it is very possible that because of this encounter with Jesus and what Simon was compelled to do, that he and his family became Christians and were instrumental in the, uh, you know, in the early church. Now, so he was compelled. He didn't have a choice. But he carried the cross for Jesus. Now, Spurgeon says something very interesting about this, though, about Simon. He said his name was Simon. But where was the other Simon? What a silent but strong rebuke this would be to him, Simon Peter. Simon, the son of Jonas, where art thou? Another Simon has taken thy place. Sometimes the Lord's servants are backward, where they are expected to be forward, and he finds other servants for the same time. If this has ever happened to us, it ought to gently rebuke us as long as we live. Brothers and sisters, keep your places and let not another Simon occupy your room. Where was Simon Peter? Well, we don't know. But we know that he wasn't there and he wasn't available. And they brought him, verse 22, and they brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated the place of the skull. Now it's interesting, you know, that at the beginning we just read that they led him out to be crucified. But now we're told that they they brought him to. They had they had to help him to the place where he was to be crucified. It would appear that Jesus was so weak through the strain of the last few days, the scourging and and all that he was not not, not only not able to carry his cross, possibly not even able to walk. One commentator writes. These two words are just a little window into the supreme physical exhaustion of the Savior in this time, in this hour of his greatest agony. As you see, when he left the praetorium, they were leading him. When they came to Golgotha, they were bearing him. And Golgotha was a place called the place of the skull where people were crucified just outside 
the city limits. In verse 23, And they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. Now, there's a, uh, a Jewish tradition, and I, I've read this several different places, that uh, certain respected women of Jerusalem pri provided this narcotic drink to the condemned prisoners in order to decrease the, the their sensitivity at the time of this excruciating pain. Uh, and they, the crucifixion was such a horrific way of dying that these people had mercy on, on the prisoners regardless of whether they deserved it or not. And it wasn't just to Jesus they gave this to, but it was something that would, would cause them to, you know, a kind of, a kind of an anesthesia. But Jesus refused it. Why? Not because he enjoyed suffering, but because he wanted to be in charge, completely in charge, of his all of his facilities. Even though he was going to be crucified, even though he was going to be hanging on a cross in severe pain, he still had things that he had left to do. He had... One of his co, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not <laughs> one of the guys crucified with him. Is what I'm trying to say, he had him to promise a place in paradise this day. He had to tell his father, you know, to forgive the people who were crucifying him because they don't know what they were doing. He had to pronounce the the finality of it. Verse 24. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. Now it was the third hour, and they crucified him, and the inscription of his accusation was written above the king of the Jews. <clears throat> Prisoners were, were normally crucified naked. It was part of the the shame of the crucifixion. And in Psalm 22, let's read Psalm 22, um, verses 1 through 18. Give me a second to find it. I should have marked it, but I didn't. <clears throat> and we'll find another reference to Psalm 22 as we go on just a little bit. But this is uh, a Psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear, and in the night season, and I am not silent. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted, and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. But I am a worm and no man, the reproaches of men, and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip, they shake their head, saying, He trusted in the Lord. 
Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. But you are he who took me out of the womb, who made me trust while in my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from birth, from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths, like raging and roaring lions. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced me, my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. It's astounding, isn't it? that David wrote these words, you know, all these hundreds of years before Jesus was was on the cross. But you know, when you look at the gospel accounts of the crucifixion, you know, they don't go into the details of, of what it was like being nailed to a cross. I know most of you have heard, you know, all the the medical uh, descriptions of what happens to a person, you know, when their hands are nailed to a cross and their feet are nailed and, you know, and they're lifted up and, and, and can't breathe except by pushing up on the nail and, you know, usually die from, from asphyxiation and how it takes, you know, took days, you know, and even uh, just imagine, you know, the insects, and they would say even even birds of prey would come and pick at the uh, people hanging on the the cross while they they were still alive, you know, eating at at, at their wounds. Uh, I mean, it was it was horrible. In fact, we we get our English word uh, excruciating from the Latin word for crucifixion. It, it was so bad. But they are concentrating here. Not just Mark, but also John, Matthew, and, and Luke, up on the purpose and upon the results of of this crucifixion. In Jesus' day, you know, it wasn't necessary to explain to the people, you know, what it was like to be crucified. They knew because it was a common practice in the occupied territories. To uh, to crucify, especially insurrectionists, people who were a threat to to Rome. It was a way of showing the power that Rome had, and way of making an example of those who dared to defy that power. But it wasn't legal to crucify a Roman citizen. And all, except by direct order from Caesar because it was such a horrific means of execution. Um, the Roman statesman Cicero wrote, 
It is a crime to bind a Roman citizen, to scourge him is an act of wickedness, to execute him is almost murder. What shall I say of crucifying him? It is an act so abominable, it is impossible to find any words adequately to express. And he says it was at the third hour, that is about nine o'clock in the morning, and the inscription was written above, <coughs> King of the Jews. It was common practice, you know, in crucifying these guys, very often as they were carrying their cross to the place of execution, one of the soldiers would, would carry a sign before uh, the accused saying, you know, this is what they were guilty of. Well, Pilate had this inscription written the king of the Jews. And, you know, Luke tells us, I believe it's Luke, yeah, tells us that the Jewish leaders protested, saying, don't write on here, king of the Jews, write on here, he said, I am king of the Jews. And Pilate said, no, you know, what I have written, you know, I have, I have written. Verse 27, with him they also crucified two robbers, one on his right and the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Now, Jesus was, was mocked even by those he was crucified with. You know, yet Luke 12 tells us that one of these criminals came to saving faith in Jesus. Verse 29, And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who destroyed the temple and built it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. You know, Jesus not only endured the mocking and humiliation at the hands of the pagan Roman soldiers, but also from the religious leaders. One commentator said they were acting like silly children who loved to mock one another. You know, it was bad enough that the Son of Man came to earth and man murdered him in the most torturous way possible. But sinful men enjoyed doing it. You know, even if they didn't believe in his claims to Messiahship, you know, just common human decency would have let him alone to die in peace, but they couldn't do that. They hated him that much. And of course, we know that this claim that you know he was going to destroy the temple and raise it up in three days, you know, was totally misunderstood what he was talking about. You know, they understood that he was going to, you know tear down the the temple, uh, the Jewish temple in Jerusalem, you know, and build it back up himself in three days when he was talking about the temple of his body, which in three days, you know, they would find out would, would be back again. Now, um, verse 31, likewise, the chief priests also mocking among themselves with the scribes said, 
He saved others himself he cannot save. You know, it's funny, even even in you know, this terrible agony and the fact that they were enjoying this, they could not deny one fact. They said he saved others. They had to admit you know, that what he did was good, that what he did was saving others. But he said himself he could not save. Jesus could have saved himself easily. His being on the cross was not their victory. He could have escaped the cross easily. Actually, he could have escaped in three ways. You know, first of all, if you recall, Pilate was looking desperately for a way to release him. If he had appealed to Pilate by diplomacy and said, you know, this is what's going on here. You know, you know, I'm not a threat to Rome. I'm not a threat to you. You know, these guys, you know, have brought me here through false pretenses. You know, if he had stood up in his own defense, Pilate would have been glad to release him. He wanted desperately to release him, but Jesus gave him no reason to. And in a Roman court of law, you know, silence was an admission of guilt. So he had no recourse but to hand him over for crucifixion. But Jesus could have stopped that. He could he could have appealed to the crowd. You know, but he didn't. The high priest stirred up the crowd against him, but I believe that Jesus could have just by standing up and defending himself, could have turned the crowd against the the priest and in his favor. And then thirdly and most effectively, he could have called 12 legions of angels. Remember, he just said that the night before in the Garden of Gethsemane when Peter drew out his sword and whacked off the ear of the high, high priest's servant. He said, you know, put up your sword, you know, don't you know that I could call 12 legions of angels? You know, it wouldn't take 12 legions. One, one angel would have done very well. But, uh, you know, he could have he could have escaped any time that he wanted to. But he didn't want to. But, you know, there's another way of looking at this. They said himself he could not save. You know, he was actually strong enough not to save himself. That is the amazing thing of all of this. He was strong enough to decline any avenue that was available to him for saving himself. He couldn't save himself because he was one with God and a double determination to smite and blast and destroy sin and the determination to heal and lift up a sinful race. It was not the nails that held him to the cross. It was not the court and the brutality of his enemies. 
but it was his overwhelming love for us. He could not save himself because he was there for a purpose. He couldn't save himself. And because of that, he can now save others. He couldn't save himself because he wouldn't save himself. He was strong enough to be weak enough to die. He was a man who could save others because he couldn't save himself. What love it was that held him there. What that prevented him from calling twelve legions of angels. And you know, those very men that mocked him and spit on him and jeered at him, he made possible their salvation. Verse 32. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. Even those who were crucified with him reviled him. You know, and it's precisely because he wouldn't come down that we believe in him. Jesus did something greater than coming down from the cross. He rose from the dead. And yet even then they wouldn't believe. Though later, you know, many other priests did actually believe. You know, we're told in, in, in the book of Acts, Acts 6, you know, a great many priests were obedient to the faith. But remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus? You know, the rich man says to uh, Abraham, you know, I have five brothers. You know, send somebody back, you know, to warn them not to come from this place, to this place. And Abraham says, you know, they have Moses and the prophet. Even though somebody come back from the dead, they won't believe. These religious leaders had every opportunity to believe, but they wouldn't. Alistair Begg said, But we do not see that we may believe, but we believe that we may see. C.S. Lewis's famous quote, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. You know, Jesus was the light of the world. He, he is the one that brought the light. And through our faith in him, we can see. Without faith in him, we are in darkness and, and can't see. They had no faith, and even though if he had come down from the cross, they wouldn't have believed. He gave them more opportunity than it is humanly possible to imagine to believe. Even after he rose from the dead, and they knew that he rose from the dead, they still refused to believe. Verse 33. Now when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. You know, this darkness showed the, the agony of creation itself over the Creator's suffering. Origen and Eusebius, 
Eusebius both uh, quote a Roman historian uh, which makes mention of an extraordinary solar eclipse as well as an earthquake at the time of the execution. He writes, in the fourth year of the 202nd Olympiad, and I, I looked that up not on a Christian calendar but on, on a uh, secular calendar, that would be the year 33 AD. There was an extraordinary eclipse of the sun. At the sixth hour, the day turned into dark night so that the stars of heaven were seen and there was an earthquake. You know, and this is especially remarkable because this happened at the time of the Passover and at the time of the Passover there is a full moon. And an eclipse of the sun doesn't happen during a full moon. So this had to be something that God did you know, as as a miracle. And Mark uh, makes it clear that it was dark for three hours, very much like the Roman historian said. Chuck Smith said that it was as though heaven was veiling itself from the horrible crime that man was committing. Verse 34. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out, with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama shebechthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We just read that a few minutes ago in, in Psalm 22. Jesus fulfilling this prophecy. You know, Jesus knew in advance, you know, the great pain and suffering that he was going to have to go through. He had experienced pain and suffering throughout his earthly life because he was a man like us. But he had never known separation from his father. He had never known what it was like to bear the guilt of sin, the weight of, of sin. That's what distressed him so during his prayer in the garden was knowing that he was going to be separated from his father that he was going to have to bear the awful weight he was going to, the cup that he talked about was the cup of the wrath of of god pouring out on him because he was taking on the weight of the sin of you and me he dreaded being separated from his father. Have you ever had somebody turn their back on you because of something that you did? Maybe even when you were a kid, you know, you did something bad and you knew that your mother or father was really upset with you, mad at you, and how bad you felt. I mean that that is just a speck, you know, of what it was like for Jesus having to undergo being separated from his father. Second uh, Corinthians uh, in chapter five said, "For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, 
that we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus not only endured withdrawal from the Father's fellowship, but the actual outpouring of the Father's wrath on him as a substitute, our substitute. And horrible as it was, you know, it fulfilled God's loving plan for the redemption of the world. That is why Isaiah could say, and this is in Isaiah 53, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you made his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge my righteous servant shall justify many, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I shall divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he has poured out his soul into death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for transgressors. Isn't this such an awesome thing? Isn't this something that it is so hard to imagine? Doesn't this humble us before our Creator? That He who made us, who was without sin, who but yet loved us enough to not save Himself. Verse 36, Then someone ran and filled a sponge full of sour wine and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink, saying, Let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come and take him down. You know, <clears throat> Jesus was misunderstood most all of his, his life, wasn't he? Oh, here he was misunderstood again. They thought he was calling for Elijah. But no, he was calling to his father. Why have you forsaken me? And then he cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. You know, most victims of crucifixion spend their last hours in complete exhaustion and unconsciousness. But Jesus you know, wasn't like this. And though he was tremendously tortured and, and weakened, he was conscious and able to speak right up until the moment of his death. John tells us in his account of the crucifixion that when he cried out with a loud voice, what he said was, it is finished. Yeah. <clears throat> the Greek word for that could well be translated, just as well be translated, paid in full. Everything was paid you know and at some point before he died the veil in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom the veil that separated the presence of God from the common people was removed making access to him making access to God through Jesus Christ our Lord possible before only the high priest could enter into the, the manifest presence of God behind the veil 
Now you can. I can. We all can. Now the death of, of Jesus on the cross was and is the ultimate demonstration of God's love toward mankind. Romans 5 and 8 says, But God demonstrates His own love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And in Colossians 2, And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He has made us alive together with Him, having forgiven you all your trespasses and having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us which was contrary to us to us he has taken out of the way having nailed it to the cross you know if jesus had not endured the cross it might be said that there is a limit to god's love that there was something he could have done but was unwilling to do But that he demonstrated certainly was not the case. He went all the way. <clears throat> Verse 40. There were also women looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, Mary the mother of James the Less, and of Joseph, and of Salome, who also followed him and ministered to him when he was in Galilee. You know, the women that followed Jesus seemed to be more faithful to him than, than his men followers, didn't they? And braver, too. <clears throat> Where would the church be without our, our women folk who put us men to shame far too often? Verse 42, Now when even had come, because it was the preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and taking courage, went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Now this Joseph of Arimathea uh, evidently was silent during the, the council that sentenced Jesus to death. But, you know, at the time after his death, he was courageous enough to go before Pilate and ask if he could have the body of Jesus to bury him properly. You know, he didn't, he failed to serve Jesus in some ways. You know, by not standing up for him in the council, but he did serve him, you know, in another way. You know, it wasn't possible for anybody else to provide the tomb, but it was possible for Joseph of, of Arimathea. And you know, very often the bodies of crucified criminals were left on the cross to be just to, to rot away if they didn't need the cross. 
or to be eaten by wild animals or, or whoever. But now, at this particular time, however, the Jews wanted the, the bodies of the crucified taken down because it was the time of the Passover. And they, they made sure, but, you know, if there was no family member to take the body of the, the crucified criminals, then, you know, they were just dumped into uh, a common grave because the Romans didn't, weren't interested in gi in giving them a proper burial, you know, at all. Yeah. Now, verse 44 says, Pilate marveled that he was already dead and summons the, the centurion and asks him if he had been dead for some time. And when he found out from the centurion, he granted the body uh, to Joseph. Um, so, you know, Crucifixion being a type of, of death that oftentimes took days. You know, for Jesus, you know, it happened just within one day. But we have to remember, you know, nobody took his life. He gave it. He gave it of his own will and, and accord. Verse 46 then he brought fine linen and took him down and wrapped him in the linen. And he laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out of rock and rolled a stone against the door. And Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph observed where he was laid. Because the Sabbath was coming and they couldn't do anything. They had purposed to come back you know, after the Sabbath was over and make a proper burial for him. You know, this is a, a, in a lot of ways, a strange story. It's hard to understand the mystery that one could gain a victory by being defeated. That one could come to be crowned King of Kings and Lord of Lords by dying on a cross. But then, who can understand and explain the love of God? Who can understand and explain John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I want to close with a, a poem by John Newton. In evil long I took delight unawed by shame or fear till a new object struck my sight and stopped my wild career. I saw one hanging on a tree in agonies and blood who fixed his languid eyes on me as near his cross I stood. Sure, never till my latest breath can I forget that look. It seemed to change me with his death, though not a word he spoke. My conscience felt and owned the guilt and plunged me in despair. I saw my sins his blood had spilt, and helped to nail him there. Alas, I knew not what I did, but now my tears are vain. Where shall my trembling soul be hid? For I, the Lord, have slain. A second look he gave, which said, I freely all forgive. This blood is for my ransom paid. 
paid. I die that thou mightst live. Thus, while his death my sin displays in all its blackest hue, such is the mystery of grace. It seals my pardon, too. With pleasing grief, my mournful joy, my spirit now, if filled, that I should such a life destroy, yet live by him I killed. It is something that, you know, like I said to begin with, more words have been written, more songs written about this one event than, than anything else, yet we cannot explain it or understand it, but we can accept it. And I hope everybody here has done just that. Has taken this this death and made it our own. And if you haven't, today is the day to do that. Thanks and God bless.